Welcome! You found the Out of the Ordinary Podcast. This is the place where we believe that the very best stories grow out of the soil of ordinary life. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy. And a few of my favorite ordinary fall things are the crunch of leaves under my feet the smell of fires, and the return of my favorite TV shows. Lisa Joe, I love pumpkins on the front porch, candles on the dinner table, and a new mystery novel from the library. Oh, those are good. <laughs> are you ready for today's conversation? Because get comfy. Here we go. This is my favorite season for stories. Everything about fall is designed for you to cozy up with a book. Hot cup of tea, leaves changing outside, warm blanket inside, good book in your lap. And it's why I love our podcast, because we come here for stories every week. That's right. I've even got my cozy scarf around my neck. Yes, I'm indoors, but I'm wearing a scarf. <laughs> it's just that kind of weather. Uh, so that, you're right, Lisa Joe. We don't just sit down and have these conversations as friends, but we try to do it, I think, in a more intentional, deliberate way where we're not just shooting the breeze or, you know, talking about whatever comes to mind, but we are deliberately looking back, remembering, trying to dig up some treasure from our past, maybe stories that we have told, but we want to retell or stories that we've never shared. And I love that our conversations have that, that story focus. And I'm um, excited to tell some stories today. I know we've been talking a little bit about that. What is the difference between a conversation? Because a lot of podcasts are conversation style, which we enjoy. We listen to them versus a podcast that is storytelling focused. I mean, how do we put that into words? Mm -hmm. I think it is the focus on our pasts and our true experiences. So we're not just talking about what we had for breakfast or even the the problem that seems so pressing this morning, we are slowing down enough to kind of access some deeper wisdom, I think. And also it's this idea, I think you and I have talked about this before, the idea of a story being a gift that we give someone, right? So we want to give our listeners a gift. I love that. I love that. You know, I just discovered recently a book by Pat Schneider called Writing Alone and with Others. And you know this because I've been sending you screenshots as I read it. It's been like taking a grad school level class again on storytelling. And the reason we're just taking some time here before we launch in today's, into today's story is just to remind ourselves and our listeners what we hope to accomplish here when you tune in. And so when Pat talks about storytelling, she says this, we are all connected to one another and to the mystery at the heart of the universe through our strange and marvelous ability to create words. When we write, we create, and when we offer our creation to one another, we close the wound of loneliness and may participate in healing the broken world. Wow, stories are healing. I love that. I think that's true. I think they're healing for the storyteller as well as for the listener. And our hope when you tune into the podcast is that you won't just hear our stories, that somehow our stories will unlock for you a memory of your own story, something that's connected to something that we shared, that you would show up here every week knowing there's a gift of a story, like a new book you got from the library that you're ready to crack open while you're sitting in a cozy corner somewhere 
we really hope that that is what we will bring you to, those kinds of stories. Mm-hmm. I love, too, that we try to tell stories of ordinary life. So in some sense, ordinary stories. And yet I think what we're discovering is that there are no <laughs> ordinary stories. And I think that's true of the story that that I want to tell today. Should I just jump in? Are we ready for a story? Yes. The story today is... All right. This is a story... Oh, how do I describe it? This is a story about play and playfulness, which I think is one of the great gifts of ordinary life. And yet it's a gift that many adults, well, especially me, I'll speak for myself, it's hard for us to receive or it's hard even to notice that it's being offered. So yeah, it's just something I've been thinking a lot about. And I've been thinking about it because I have been picking up a camera, which we talked about in, I think it was last week's episode that I've been trying to learn more about photography and and move into that hobby. And Lisa Joe, it has been so much fun. I, I I'm having fun. <laughs> I'm playing with this camera. And I think um, I'm playing with creativity in a way that I haven't done in a long time because my creativity usually is exercised as a writer. And that's my primary outlet for creativity. And it's one that is so precious to me and so important to me. And of course, wrapped up in my livelihood and my profession, that it's very hard for me to feel playful <laughs> when it comes to writing. It's very hard for me to access that that playful side of it. But photography is different, right? It's it's a new thing. It's not, my identity isn't so wrapped up in it. So I've been playing. But because I have been playing, I've been noticing that the people I live with, a few of them at least, are playing most of the time, right? So there's not only my younger kids who are so playful, but my husband is a really playful guy. I love that about him. And I think it's just something that until I um, started playing again, I, I just had forgotten to see. But the person in my house, and that's really who this story is about, the person in my house who is the most playful and I think just infuses our whole home with um, with a, just a playful spirit is my youngest, is my daughter, Elsa. And I feel like I may have hinted in past conversations about oh, just the story of this sweet girl and, and her presence in our lives, but I feel like it's time for me to, to really tell that story. And um, it's a story ultimately about unexpected gifts and the things that, oh, wow, are just so, become so special in our lives, but they're the things we never even knew to ask for or look for. So, oh, let's see, let's rewind here eight years. Elsa is seven now. So let's go back eight years. And, you know, eight, nine years ago, I was convinced that our family, Jonathan and I had three kids. I was convinced that our family was complete. But I was convinced of that, I think, not for good reasons. I was convinced of that for, well, you spoke of a wound earlier when you're talking about stories. I was wounded. I had been wounded by long experience with infertility my past attempts to become a mom, to get pregnant, had been marked by doctor's visits and medication and waiting and just a whole lot of pain. And so when we were blessed with our third child, with our son, Bo, I said, okay, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> I was grateful for a daughter and two sons. I mean, I, I was so grateful. I felt just um, incredibly blessed. But I also thought, 
there's no way I can do that again. I can't enter into that longing. I can't enter, um, I can't let that desire take root in me. It's just, it hurts too much. So I said, this is great. Thank you, Lord. Let's move on. Um, but there was someone in my house who didn't move on. And that was my firstborn, Lily, my daughter. She did not move on. Uh, I would like to say that she was glad to receive her second baby brother. <laughs> and I think in some ways she was. But she was also frankly disappointed because she'd always wanted a sister. And she loved her brothers, but she never let go of that desire for a sister. And so she would come to me again and again, Mom, I want a sister. Mom, I want a sister. Well, at least Joe, you can imagine because I was wounded in the way I was wounded, that request of hers just hit mm. right at that wound. Yeah. Because I thought, I can't I want that for you too. I know um, I know the gift that sisters can be. I have two sisters of my own and I wanted that for her. And I think some part of my heart was still open to um, having another child in our family, but I knew that I, in my own strength and the strength of my own wishing, could not make it happen. And so she would ask and I would, all of that fear and all of that hurt and all of that um self-doubt and I think even shame would rise up and I would, I don't remember for the longest time, I would just tell her, I can't, I can't make that happen. I can't make that happen, but that's a great thing to want. Finally, Lisa Joe, I got so fed up. I told her, oh, and this was, I would say this is my fatal error, but of course this was the best, <laughs> the best thing I ever did. <laughs> I said, Lily, I cannot give you a baby sister. Only Jesus gives babies, and you need to talk to Jesus about it. Oh, wow. But so I guess, is this a TMI question? Like, were you wanting actively, were you participating That's in wanting question. to produce a baby? <laughs> like, because, yes, there can't be one if one is not trying. So, <laughs> like, were you on board with even getting onto the trying group right. to help her in her wish? That's a great question. So, I will just share. I'll try not to, I'll, I'll try to tread the TMI line very carefully here. But <clears throat> at that time, because of the health issues I had experienced, I was using a, some hormone I was taking the pill, okay? <laughs> there you go. There you go. But I was doing that for these health reasons. I was doing it because um, right. I had these hormone issues. And at that time, it really seemed to be necessary in order to manage my symptoms and my health. And and so at that point, not only was I not open in my heart, but um, it, it mm. just seemed unlikely for many, many reasons. So I told her that. You need to talk to Jesus. Oh, Lisa Joe, she started talking to Jesus. Oh, man. <laughs> How old was how old was Lily at this point? That's a good question. She would have been. So these were our years of um, our last years in Chicago when she was um, six. She was six when Bo was born, her her youngest brother, and so that's really when it started. Then she was seven and going on eight. So six, seven, eight, and at night mm. she would remember and she would pray most nights when I tucked her into bed. She would ask God for a baby sister. And listening to that night after night, I started to feel like, oh, wow, what have I done? I think I'm going to have to face this. I think I'm going to have to deal with this because this is starting to feel wow. powerful. <laughs> this is starting, it was starting to scare me a little bit, but in that like kind of holy fear, you know? Well, uh, eventually what happened um, is that I thought one month, again, just keep in mind, I had all these health issues. My hormones were crazy, but there was a month where I thought that I was pregnant. And um, just that 
that worry or whatever it was that maybe this had happened, I felt like it just knocked something loose in me. And I started to really ask the question I hadn't been willing to ask, which is, did I want another child? Did I want to participate in this prayer that that my child was asking? And it almost felt like, like God was offering something to me. Like He was saying, you know, if you're willing to to kind of unlock that part of your heart, you know, I'm here. We can talk about it. And and that's really all it was. But um, it, it just sort of knocked something loose. And so I did make the decision eventually, slowly over months, that I would try to treat my hormone issues in a different way, knowing that that I was at least showing some willingness <laughs> to uh, to re- <laughs> to receive if if God had more to give and. Um, you know, that story is is a longer story, but I'll just cut to the chase and say, God did have a gift for us, and God did answer Lily's prayer, and um, that answer was our fourth child, the child that Jonathan and I didn't ask for, but our daughter asked for. And Lisa Jo— and how much time, Christy, between when she first—because I feel like that's three states, because if, if she started asking in Chicago— mm-hmm. And Elsa was born in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and you lived in Florida in the middle. Mm-hmm. Like, how much time was it between when she started praying? It, it was years. It was at least two years. Wow! And then it was a good. Okay. It was a good six to nine months before, between the time of me feeling like I too was was willing, and the time when I became pregnant with Elsa. So I became pregnant toward the end of our time in Florida. And then you're right; she was born here in Pennsylvania. And uh, I think I've shared before that we named her, her middle name, Spring, because our time in Florida had felt like such a long winter. And it did feel that in Lily's prayer and in our own sort of opening up, that God was bringing something really new and precious into our lives. So I felt sure of that from the beginning. It's why we gave her that name, Spring. But oh, Lisa Joe, as I've been thinking about just my own, just the fun I've been having with the camera recently, I've been thinking about... <laughs> the gift that Elsa really is that I couldn't have known way back then. I didn't know this seven years ago, but I know this now that this fourth child, this second daughter is uniquely playful. She is happiness embodied. She is rainbows and sparkle and glitter. <laughs> I think, I think <laughs> and I, unicorns. And, yes, she loves unicorns and is wearing actually a costume unicorn horn on her head most days, which is just an emblem of her, her sweetness and her, and just the, the fun that she brings to our lives. I think I shared with you not too long ago that all my kids were sitting around the table and my boys were being gross as boys often are. And they were talking about their favorite words. And of course, their favorite words were all kinds of gross, icky things. And (laughs) Elsa chimed in, I have favorite words. And she started the spiel that included words like glitter and sunshine and cupcakes and and chocolate and (laughs) cookies and ice cream. And and I thought that of course, of course, those are your favorite words. That's just, that's just who you are. So, Here's what I think about Elsa now, and I'm realizing that Lily wanted a sister, and she prayed for a sister, and she received that good gift. I didn't know if I wanted another child. I, I knew that that was opening myself up to all kinds of pain. But what I, what I didn't imagine then is that in receiving this gift from God, I might be receiving so much more than a sister for my daughter, or even just another child, but that I might be receiving what I think we have received, which is a family member who has really fundamentally 
changed, altered the culture of our whole family. Mm. I think the rest of us, I, I mentioned my husband's a playful guy. I'm a very serious person. My my oldest is very <laughs> serious. Um, my boys are really intense. We're just, a, yeah, I feel like we're a serious family. We're, we're the kind of family who sits around the dinner table and talks about, you know, world crises. And, um, you know, I just, yeah, when I think of who we would be without this little sparkly unicorn child at our table, I, <laughs> I'm actually frightened for us. I think... <laughs> wow. So, so here's, here's while I'll, I'll start to wrap up this story. Here's what I have told my daughter Elsa for years. I say to her, you, Elsa, were God's idea. Hmm. Now, I think that's true of every child and every person. We were all God's idea. Sure. But with her in particular, because, because I didn't seek her out, because I didn't seek out that fourth child in myself, I really feel like she was God's idea. God imagined her, knew her, envisioned her, and just knew that that she would be just this gift for our family. So she was God's idea. So then I tell her, Elsa, you are God's idea. And what a good idea you were. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lisa Jo, so as I play with my camera in these weeks ahead, it just turns my thoughts to this child and everything I've learned from her. And um, it's just how, you know, if we open ourselves up to these gifts and and just this the playfulness that can be ours in our day-to-day life. I know it's harder for some of us. It's so much harder for me. It's been made easier because of Elsa, but it isn't my natural bent. You know, my natural bent is serious, focused, maybe even a little somber or melancholy. Um, but ordinary life, like last week we talked about just the gift of food, right? Ordinary life is is full of these good gifts that um, are available every day. And I think play is one of those. That's what Elsa is teaching me anyway. And I'm grateful for for my mm. camera these days so I can put it into practice. <laughs> <laughs> it's so interesting how you say that Elsa wasn't something you initially had asked for. Like you hadn't asked, Lily had asked, and she wasn't what you expected either. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that is in many ways the same story of my daughter, Zoe, our third. And at the time we had two boys... And for me, this is the story about how God, maybe it's God who's playful, you know, how He ah. <laughs> tends to turn our families and our expectations upside down. Like, I just think He isn't ever content with just the status quo. It seems to me He's always pushing us into new places. And in your family, I mean, I remember sitting around your dining room table while you were, your boys knew more about the current state of politics than I did. And I think Elsa's contribution was to ask if she could go and eat the entire bowl of icing frosting that was left over from cupcakes. <laughs> Do you remember that? She I ate like do. a whole bowl of pink frosting. I was like a woman after my own heart. <laughs> oh, I love that girl. Uh, but so for me, you know, I grew up with two brothers. I was the only girl and my mom died when I was young. And so boys were what I knew. So having two boys felt exactly right to me. I loved being a boy mom. I love everything about their gross words and their fart jokes and how (laughs) rough and tumble they are, but how they want to like protect you as their mom. You know, you're the hero of their stories. And But the burden really was with Pete primarily when it came to play, right? Like he's the guy they wanted to wrestle with and build Lego with. And I don't think I realized at the time I kind of gave myself a pass when it came came to play (laughs) because I was like, oh, Peter's so good at that. He's going to throw the baseball in the backyard or whatever. 
And so when it, I remember after we had those two boys, I felt in my heart a deep assurance that there was someone missing from our family. I actually said those words to Peter. Like there's someone missing. I don't know how many kids we're supposed to have. I didn't have a number, but I had it like this assurance that there was somebody missing and that person was supposed to be part of our family. And I really believed it would be another boy. Actually, for a long time, Peter and I talked about wanting four boys. We used to talk about that a lot. And Peter used to say, oh, we're halfway to our four boys, you know, when we had Jackson and Micah. So we just assumed, and the chances are good, right? If you've had two boys, the chances are pretty good you're going to have another one. So we just assumed it would be a boy. So we ended up getting pregnant because we had both felt there was someone missing from our family. And I will never forget the day I found out it was a girl. I was profoundly profoundly disappointed. Mm. I mean, so much so that it really haunted the course of my pregnancy. I was so upset. I felt like God had made a huge mistake. I was not equipped to be a girl mom. I am not girly. My own mom was out of my life from when I was 16. I just felt like I had no frame of reference for how to be a girl mom. And I was very put out with God. I really felt like he had messed up big time and he owed me an apology because what was I going to do with this girl child? It was so terrible. And one of my good friends, I remember her actually emailing me. She's a mom of daughters, just loved me enough to say to me, Lisa Jo, I think you need to go and see a counselor about this girl issue because I used to just joke about it. But she spoke into a deeper heart truth and said, I think you really need to look at this, this this fear you have, and work through that. So Zoe came into our lives, and anybody who's followed me for any period of time just knows that we fell in love with her so hard. And her name means life, and she is. And, you know, it's funny. It's, I think, why Elsa and her have so much fun when they're together. They're both masters of play and of creativity (laughs) and of art, and they love so many of the same things. But what I learned through my experience with Zoe as my daughter, one of the things that has really struck me is I had been afraid, and I think maybe a lot of us approach life this way. We're afraid of certain callings or opportunities or encounters or um, seasons because we're afraid of what they mean that we have to be. So for Zoe, I was worried that it meant I was going to have to play Barbies and I was going to have to make art projects and things I'm not good at, things that do not seem fun to me. (laughs) But what I've realized with Zoe is that she's like a door and I feel like God opened this door and invited me into this world. That's Zoe's world. I don't have to be those things, but I get to walk into her world. I mean, Christy, I've known you 20-something years. I would never have imagined you making unicorn cakes or having (laughs) glitter in your house. Like, that's so weird for me. But Elsa has invited you into that world, right? And Zoe has done the same for me. What's especially interesting for me about Zoe, and I know she and Elsa don't have this in common, is that Zoe is the girliest girl you have ever met when it comes to fashion. She watches YouTube tutorials about smoky eye and she's eight. It's, it's, wow. I mean, she showed me how to do it. Like, I was like, what is happening right now? Like, I don't understand it. And for anyone listening who's about to become anxious that I let my daughter who's eight go in public with smoky eye, that is not what I'm saying. <laughs> 
that's just fun for her at home. It's not like everyday wear. But she also watches tutorials on how to do nail polish where you do patterns on your nails and how to apply like her favorite thing is to get like little diamond, you know, those fake diamonds from Michael's and attach them to her nails or everything in the world of girliness that could possibly exist is her favorite, (laughs) which is the exact opposite of me. But it has become this interesting land where I get to visit and I get to see how much she loves these things. You know, Halloween just happened and Zoe was her happiest because she could dress up Mm. and do all kinds of, she was a little, first she was a pirate for the school parade and then she was a scarecrow girl for our neighborhood walk. She got to do makeup on her face. She got to style her hair with braids. She got to stylishly clip grass into her hair with a barrette that was very sparkly. Like, I didn't participate in it at all. Like, she drove the entire thing. And what's so beautiful about having her in my life is all the things I thought I wasn't good at that I had missed out on because my mom had died and my mom wasn't girly at all. I now am now experiencing 100% because of my daughter. And she loves to come and show off. You know, she'll come in and tell her brothers like the outfit she's put together. And then everybody oohs and ahs and comments on it. And I mean, here's the perfect example. We were at the dentist this week. And sadly, she had three cavities. She had a dental checkup and they found three cavities. And so they said, could you come back in the afternoon? They're going to need to fix one of them, which meant she couldn't go to school that day. She was upset for two reasons. Number one, she was upset because she loves going to school. And number two, she was upset because it would be a wasted outfit. Like she'd put together this really cute outfit and she wouldn't be able to wear it to school. And all the dental staff, when they saw her face and heard her, this conversation with me, when she came back down the hallway, all six women took a moment to tell my daughter how much they loved her outfit. And it wasn't about how she's pretty or anything. It was about admiring the artistry in her. She's also my artist. She paints, she creates sculptures out of boxes. She styles her clothes. She paints her clothes. And so all of these women took a moment to tell Zoe what they liked about her outfit, what they liked about the colors and the textures and the patterns and the fringe on her boots, like all the things that are not my natural language. I got to step into this world because of her. And so play has looked very different than I initially thought it would be. I think so much of play maybe is just a willingness, a willingness to enter into somebody else's world. And when we do, we are enriched because of it. And so the fun about Zoe is because she is my daughter. She's also interested in stepping into my world. And my idea of play is very different than hers. So I'll end with this last piece of the story. She and I were at Walmart together a few weeks ago. And she, her eye is always on shirts and shoes and pants. She really does have sort of that graphic designer's eye. She's interested in textures and colors and combining things in interesting and unique ways. And so she loves to walk through the shirts. And if you know from going to Walmart, they have a very eclectic selection of outfits, attire you can choose from. And hanging (laughs) there in the women's department was a t-shirt with a kitty cat on the front, like this very bold (laughs) cat shirt with cat print on it as well. And Zoe fell in love with that shirt and was determined I would wear it. 
and her sparkle and joy and delight as she took the shirt off the rack and then proceeded to launch into a very passionate monologue about how awesome cat shirts are and how much she wanted me to wear one impacted all of the shoppers (laughs) around us. People were stopping and listening. Mothers were chiming in. Daughters were saying they agreed with Zoe. So much so that I next thing I found myself in a changing room in Walmart wearing a cat shirt. Okay. While my daughter danced in the mirror saying, yeah, cat shirt. Yeah, cat shirt. Oh, Lisa (laughs) Joe. And that is play at its finest, right? I laughed so hard I could hardly breathe. We recorded a lot of it for Instagram stories, and I must have received thousands of messages about that cat shirt, people, which everybody was mad at me that I hadn't bought just out of the joy. And I think that's what it is. When you play in a way that fills your soul, it fills the people around you with joy. And everybody watching said, you just have to buy it just to have it because of your daughter. And I just thought, isn't that the way of God, how He wants more for us than we want for ourselves? Zoe isn't something I ever would have known to choose. I had no frame of reference for her at all. When I thought about womanhood or being a daughter, all I had was a deep well of sadness, a deep well. And I realized that now, at the time I didn't know, I realized what I wanted to do was cap that well. I wanted to cover it up and never look into it. I wanted to move past it and say, I'm not girly. I'm not super feminine. I don't do makeup. I don't play with my hair. And then God, I think, came into that wound, just like you had a wound, that wounded place and opened up the well and said, wait, wait, you know, there's living water here. There's fresh water. We're not going to let this contaminate and close it off and seal it. No, no, we're going to drink from this. It's going to be fresh and new and beautiful. And so, it's so appropriate. Her name means life. You know, Zoe means life. And there's Elsa's spring. And my goodness, but did God come and sow some seeds of gladness where we least expected it, right? In the heart of the heart of our woundedness. I love it, Lisa Joe. Fresh water, new life, spring after winter. I, it's funny. I think we started out thinking we would tell stories about play. And I'm realizing we've told stories about wounds that have been healed and just replaced with with life where there was, you know, sadness and sorrow. And I hope in sharing these gifts, these stories that, yeah, maybe that'll be a gift some of our listeners can receive as well. (laughs) I love it, the cat. And our hope is, as you walk away with these stories, you'll remember, as Pat says in her book, this reminder that we are all storytellers. Mm -hmm. You might not realize that about yourself, but you have stories I'm sure that came to mind as you listened to us today. And let God prick those into life. I love how Pat says this. She says, every time you came home from a hard day at school or work and said to someone in your family, you know what happened to me today? And told the story. The writer in you, the storyteller in you was practicing using suspense and character, dialogue, metaphor, simile, plot. All your life, you have been writing on the air. And that has built craft and confidence and voice. It is all there, ready and waiting for you. And I love that, Christy. We all write on the air because we use our words, we speak them aloud, and we are all storytellers. Did you enjoy these stories? Why don't you join the conversation? Take a moment and leave us a review. It's easy. Just scroll down in whatever app you're listening on, click on review, 
and tell us who you are, what you loved about us, and let us get to know you a little bit too. 